Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. What are you burdened about? And I want you to consider it because maybe if you're burdened about things and you can look at what you're burdened about and says, I think God cares about this too. We're going to learn from Nehemiah chapter 1 what to do with a burden. If you look at what you're burdened with and you're like, I don't think God cares about this. You need to get a new burden. <laughs> so some people are burdened about the wrong stuff. So I'm like, what, are you, what are you really burdened about? You know, and it's like, man, uh, the Super Bowl, that's really bummed out about, you know, so something dumb like that. So when I ask you to consider, what are you burdened for? Great question. What are you burdened about? What have you cried out to God about lately? That's your burden. Today, Pastor Bill teaches us to bring our burdens to the Lord by fasting and praying. We take our burdens to God because He's the one who can help us to do something about them. Once God gives us direction on how to proceed, then we can start including other people to work beside us on the burden which God has given us. This is how to work in God's strength and not our own. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Nehemiah chapter 1 for today's edition of A Transforming Word. What I like to do is give a little bit of an introduction to the book of Nehemiah. It's a new book, so I want to give us a little context, uh, historically show us kind of where we are when this book is written, the things that are going on surrounding it. Then we'll jump into chapter one of the book of Nehemiah. So burdens into prayers. And as we get into the message, we'll see why that's the case. So um, some background on the book of Nehemiah. We don't know for sure who the author of the book is. Most believe that it's probably Nehemiah or maybe even Ezra, um, but it's unknown. It doesn't state anywhere in the book uh, who wrote it exactly, um, even though it's, it's, it's telling us a lot about the person, Nehemiah. It doesn't really matter who wrote it, um, but some books we know for certain who did. This one we don't know for certain. Um, the time frame when this book was written. So we just went through the Minor Prophets. So you guys will remember that we looked at when Israel was exiled and then they came out of exile. So post-exile. So some of the 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 um the minor prophets books were written after Israel came out of exile. Well, Nehemiah lines up with that group. So this was um so if I could tell you kind of the way it went down, God had told the children of Israel throughout their history, God told them, if you guys obey me, I will bless you and you will prosper in the land that I've sent you to. From the time he brought them out of Egypt, out of slavery, that was God's word to them. And as you follow through your Old Testament, it was very up and down, uh, Israel's relationship with God. So there would be small seasons where they would obey the Lord and be blessed. There were lengthier seasons where they were rebellious and disobedient, and God would bring about certain consequences. God threatened through many of the prophets that if they didn't return, if they didn't repent, that he was going to allow their enemies to come and, and overtake them. And eventually that's what happened. Eventually God said, that's, I've had enough. Y'all just ain't going to get it. So um, it's important to know that because God was very patient. But eventually God said, I'm going to allow your enemies to take you. And so it happened in two ways. Uh, Israel had been split um, into northern and southern tribes. So they had already divided themselves. Um, and as they split into these two, these two areas, um, in 722, the Syrians took Israel, the 10 uh, northern kingdoms or tribes. They took, though, they took them captive. And then there was a uh, hundred years later, Babylon took the southern kingdom captive. So Israel had been taken into captivity. 
when Babylon took them, they decimated Judah. They wiped out the land. They took Solomon's temple and they just broke it apart and decimated everything. And they left the land in ruins. Babylon took Israel's, you know, the Israelites and made them slaves. They took them captive into their land. So that's where they were enslaved for for about 70 years. And 70 years later, um, they were released. King of Babylon allowed many of them to come back home. And if you guys went through the minor prophets with us, remember, not everybody wanted to come home. That was kind of the sad part. So of about two to three million Jews that had been there in captivity, when they finally were told, okay, y'all can go on back home, um, only about 50,000 of them went home. A small remnant were willing to go home. And if you guys remember from some of the minor prophet books, when they, when they got home and they started trying to build the temple, they looked at what they were building compared to what was, and they were like, oh, man. It was, just, it was just discouraging. And so as we pick up Nehemiah for context, that's where we're at. We got the remnant that have come back into, into Judah, and they've come back home. There's not many of them. There's not a lot of power. They've tried to rebuild and not really been successful. And that's where we're picking up the book. So if I could tell you, like, what's the theme of the book of Nehemiah? It's not just one theme. Um, throughout the book, we're going to do it rebuilding the wall. So there is a theme of rebuilding, restoration. We're also going to see revival as later on in the book, they, they get reacquainted with the word of God, which they've been away from for a long time. And we're going to see that there's great brokenness and great repentance that takes, takes, takes place. So, but before any of the work happens, right, we're going to be, we're getting, we're beginning the book here before the walls are rebuilt, before any work gets done. We're going to see something that we see a lot of times in Scripture that God will often give a burden to somebody. God will cause somebody to care deeply about what he cares about. And in this book, Nehemiah is that guy. Nehemiah is going to be the guy that he's just going to get word of how things are going back home. And it's going to trouble him so much. And so something I wanted to challenge us to consider right up front, even before we start, is what are you burdened about? And I want you to consider it because maybe if you're burdened about things and you can look at what you're burdened about and says, I think God cares about this too. We're going to learn from Nehemiah chapter one what to do with a burden. If you look at what you're burdened with and you're like, I don't think God cares about this. You need to get a new burden. <laughs> so some people are burdened about the wrong stuff. I'm like, what, are, what are you really burdened about? You know, and it's like, man, uh, the Super Bowl, that's really bummed out about, you know, so something dumb like that. So when I ask you to consider, what are you burdened for? And because, you know, if you just be honest with yourself, maybe some of us would say, maybe you don't spend enough time with God in his word, thinking about the things that God thinks about. To I'm not really burdened about anything that God cares about. I'm burdened about me what I need, what I want, what I care about. But maybe some of us are sitting here and we're like, man, God has really stirred my heart up for this thing over here. I have a real passion, real burden for this particular thing or that particular thing. Sometimes God creates that kind of burden because of what we came through, what we, where we came from. Maybe God brought us out of something. I know people that came out of substance abuse and they have a real burden for other people that are, that are caught up in the throes of substance abuse. I got a brother from my old church, a brother named Isaac. And, um, you know, he, would, he had in his life before Christ, there was jail, there was drugs, there was all these things. And, and he went to Detroit and he went into the hood of Detroit and he sees that, man, the Lord just burdened him. And you got this, you got a Hispanic guy um, with a heart for God, you know, and he's going to Detroit two, three times a year taking groups with him. And he's connected with people down there. And he's like, man, I just, 
I, I told him, I said, I'm, I'm waiting for you to call and say I'm, I'm leaving to go pastor a church to plant a church. Like his heart is burdened for what he's seen down there, just the need for, for Christ, for the Lord. You see the brokenness in some of the, the church context there. So ask yourself, what are you burdened about? What, what do you lay in bed and roll back and forth thinking about? And, and are they things, are, they, are these things that you would say, man, this is the stuff I'm burdened about is, is stuff God cares about too? Because if so, you're in a great position because many times I believe that the, the people that have the burden are the people that God wants to use to do the work, right? Everybody don't care. Like, you know, they're, they're, I've, I've seen people with a burden for something and I'm like, well, everybody don't, doesn't care about it like you do, you know? God gave you that burden that you would be the one to lead the way. You would be the one to move this thing forward. So I even tell people that in the church, you know, as you're sitting in the church trying to figure out what you're called to do, what bothers you? You know, what do you see that you're like, we need this, we need this? Because some people just see what's needed and complain. And I've told y'all before, God ain't gave nobody the, the gift. The, the Holy Spirit has given nobody the gift of complaining. Amen. Nobody will sit around. You know, my gift is to see what's wrong and complain about it. You know, that is, I am so good at doing that. That's, that is no, that is no gift from God, right? That is a, that's a work of the devil, the accuser of the brethren. But sometimes the thing that really bothers you is the thing that God's like, cause I want you to fix it. I want you to be a part of, of that. You know, I used to, for me, you know, there was an era where I was looking for a church like what I saw at Calvary Chapel in Inglewood. I wanted a church that would go through the Bible chapter by chapter and verse by verse. And I searched all through my neighborhood, Inglewood, Compton, Gardena, Hawthorne. Why, why do I got to go way out to Timbuktu to find that? And I can't find it here. And you know what that was? God was saying, I want you to do it. I'm burdening your heart for it. You want it? How bad do you want it? You want it? Yes, I want it. You want it? You want it? Go to Bible college. Yes, I want it, Lord. And eventually God's like, now you do it. That's, for me, that, was, that burden came from wanting this. Wanted it for me and my family. Then I went and saw it somewhere else, and I'm like, I want that where I live. I haven't seen that where I live. And God's like, that's why you got the burden. You're going to do it. Don't complain about it. Prepare for it. Be about it. So maybe in this room, there are people that God's given burdens, and there's things that he wants to, to bring to bring pass. He wants to birth out of you as your heart's burdened for stuff that he cares about. So with that, let's look at Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1. It says, the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. That's a, that's a name. So <laughs> that's, his, that's his daddy's name. So Nehemiah's name means consolation of Jah or consolation of Jehovah. Um, we know that the, the book of Nehemiah, it came about 400 years before Christ was born. Uh, just to give you some context. So the, these are the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakala. It came to pass. In the month of Cheslev, in the 20th year, as I was in Shushan, the citadel. So let me give you what was going on in Nehemiah's life and why this makes it really interesting to me that he's the one burdened. Nehemiah would be, we would look at Nehemiah and say, bro, he made it. Nehemiah is in the palace. He's in the king's palace. You know what his job is? He's the king's cupbearer. So if you live in the palace, will we all agree that's going to be a plush job? Now, the job isn't necessarily, you know, a great job. You know, you get to, you taste the wine before the king tastes it. So if it's been poisoned or if it's been messed with in any way, you die instead of the king. So it's a, it's a, it's a pretty risky job. You know, the king knows that people want to take him out. So kings had cup bearers to 
drink their drinks first. And, you know, I, I used to do it to my kids and they were little, you, you know, you buy them a soda and you're like, let me you know, taste it, make sure it's not poison for you, you know, give it back to them. I, I was just getting a free drink, you know what I'm saying? But uh, <laughs> Nehemiah was, in fact, you know, the king's cupbearer. So when you think about it, he now, never mind everybody outside, Nehemiah made it. I'm in the king's palace. I eat good. I sleep on the comfy couch. Um, that's not a real, that's not a, that's not a laborious job. Whenever it's time for the king to eat, you showed up and you know, the king had the best of everything. So I'll be glad to taste that for you, sir. You know, I'll be glad to nibble on your chicken and giblets and whatnot. So he had a pretty plush job. So it's interesting that he would be the one that when he hears about this, not like he's out in the streets experiencing the brokenness, he's in the palace. He, he could say, Hey, I, I got mine. I'm praying for y'all, man. I'm so sorry that it's going bad for you guys out there, but that's not his heart. So, and this is, I was meditating on this. This is what I got, right? We're as believers, everybody here that's born again, we are children of the king, amen? And we got ours, don't we? I'm going to heaven. I got mine. I am in relationship with the king of kings. My sins are forgiven. I have access to God. I am, I mean, I'm covered. I got mine. And somehow, after having got mine, there still needs to be in the heart of the man and the woman of God a, a concern, a passion, a, a compassion for those that don't yet have what we have. Amen? For those that are outside. And so, though he's got his, he's in a great position, we're going to hear that he still has a heart for other people. So, he's in Shushan, the citadel, the Shushan was the capital of the Persians. The citadel was the fortified palace of the Persians. They lived in a fortified palace, um, and that's where he is. He is safe, he is covered, and he is serving the king. Verse 2, it says that Hanani, one of my brethren, came with men from Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. First thing I want you to note. So one of the brethren come back from captivity and Nehemiah, first thing he wants to know is, hey, how's everybody doing? Those that came back, those that came back from the captivity, those that have made it out, how's it going? And I want you to just hear his heart. His heart's concerned for those that made it back. That's, that's, he could have asked anything. He said, how are, how are, how's it going with them? How's it going with those that made it back, those that came back from captivity in Babylon, How's it going with them? Once again, I would challenge you and myself to consider how concerned are we for those that don't have what we have? How concerned are we for those who are, who are outside? Is there a compassion? Is there a sense of burden for those that don't yet know the Lord, those that are outside the kingdom? Even sometimes people that know the Lord, is there, is there a burden for anything? You care about poor people. You care about hungry people. You care about hurting people. There's something that stirs your heart up? Is there a need that you see somewhere that you would say, man, I know that the Lord would, he would, he would meet that need. He would do something about that because maybe God wants to do it through you. Um, he's concerned about the well-being and the situation of others. And so he asks the first thing on his heart, hey, how are they doing? Verse three says, and they said to me, the survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down and its gates are burned with fire. So he gets a really bad report. And I want to break that down real quick. First of all, he said the survivors 
who are left, number one, they're in great distress. Um, anybody here ever been in great distress? That's not a good place to be in. They're in great distress. That means they're not relaxed. They're not chilling. They're not comfortable. They're in great distress. The, the picture that's painted is that they're, they're, not, they're not doing well. They're, they're in, these people are in great distress. That's the first thing. That's how they're doing. Um, then it says that and reproach. So they're in distress. They're, they're in reproach. So they're not thriving. They're not, they're not doing well in, in the area where they are. So if you guys remember from the minor prophets, they came back and they didn't have enough people. Um, there wasn't, you know, there weren't enough people to do all the work. They didn't really have a lot of resources. The land is all torn up. And so it's not rich in resources like it used to be. Um, and so they're not doing well. They're broke. They're poor, stressful. Anybody here has ever been broke and know that feeling of like, man, this, you know, the, the what I need and what I got don't measure up. That's 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 distress. Um, you know, it leads you to go do something. So they're distressed. They're in reproach. Not not doing well uh, are the people. And then it says concerning Jerusalem, the wall of Jerusalem is also is also broken down and its gates are burned with fire in that day. The walls of a city represented your protection. So if the walls of the city were broken down, that means that you were exposed to the enemy. Um, when you would take somebody, if you would beat them in war, you had to get through their defenses. If you guys remember Jericho, they had been unimpregnable because they had the walls. And God gave supernatural victory as they marched around according to God's instruction and shouted on the seventh day and the walls came down and they went in. But other than that, no one had ever been able to take Jericho because they couldn't get through those walls. Well, here in Judah, the walls have been knocked down and burned with fire. They have no um, no defense. It'd be like living in a bad neighborhood and not having a front door. Think about you want to think about the insecurity that you would have, right? Because some of you, if you live in a bad neighborhood with a door, um, you put a screen door in front of your door, and by screen door, I mean a bar door, you know, an iron door, so that you, you got to really, really, really want to get up in here to get up in here, you know. Imagine they're living in this place. They, they, they've already been, you know, they've been released from captivity, but they're back home, and there's nothing to stop the enemy from coming back tomorrow if he wants to. That's what the broken, the broken down wall says. It, it wouldn't even be worth building up a whole lot up in here because, if you build it up real good, we'll come right back for it. You have no defenses. That I want you to understand the discouragement that that would bring, that we can't protect ourselves, we can't defend ourselves. Even though they let us go, we're few in number, we're small in money, and the walls are broken down. That's the condition of God's children, and they've been burned with fire. So at least we go too far. I want to remind us, why are, it, why are, why are God's kids in this predicament? Why? Why is God allowing this to happen to them? Anybody? Because they were disobedient, right? Because um, sometimes people are disobedient to God and they live like this and they're like, God, why did you do this to us? As though God did something that they, they well, we all agree, you did this to yourself. Amen. They did this to themselves. They, they did this by not obeying God, not walking with God. So, you know, I feel bad for them, but it's their fault that they're here. It's their fault that this is the situation that they're in. But here's where the mercy of God is. God's going to burden a man to see this thing turned around. Even though this is their fault, even though they're, they're poor, you know, their poor you know, situation is their own doing. God's going to burden a man 
in order to see this thing turned around. Because God still loves his kids even when they mess up, which is amazing to me. That he's still concerned for him. Verse 4 now. It says, so it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And so I want you to see that Nehemiah hears about this. He's extremely burdened about what he hears. And look at what he does with this burden. It says when he heard these words, he first he sat down and wept. So question for you to consider. You don't have to answer me out loud. When was the last time you just sat down and cried over some situation, some sin, some, some brokenness, some, some pain? This isn't his issue. Remember, he's in the palace. He's fine. He's concerned about somebody else. So concerned about the well-being of another group of people that he's akin to, that, it, that he's sitting down weeping. Uh, and it's not, he's not just being emotional. This is, he's burdened. He cares about what's going on with somebody else to where it says he sat down and wept. Then it says he mourned for many days. Um, he's mourning over the state of God's kids because um, he knows this isn't what God wants for them. He knows that this isn't God's heart. This, is, this isn't what God promised. We're going to see later on that Nehemiah is well-versed in the word of God. He knows this isn't what God wanted for his people. That He knows this is a result of sin, and so he's looking at the result of sin, and he's burdened. Then it says he fasted and prayed before the God. He was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And so a word on fasting and prayer, because um, whenever it comes up in the word, I think it's a healthy thing that we go over it. There's a lot of reasons why people fasted in the word, um, but I just want to give a real quick explanation of what is fasting and prayer. We get an example here. One reason why people fasted and prayed, we see right here with Nehemiah, is because he's burdened for other people. And he's like, I'm, I'm going to set aside the plate and pray because um, he wants to hear from the Lord. He wants God to give him some direction. What do we do about this? What does it mean to fast? Fasting is to not eat food. Um, there's a few different types of fast in the Bible. There is what we would call the absolute fast, which Moses did. There was no food or water as he went up the mountain. That's a supernatural fast. I don't recommend that you get up. Your body can only really go three days without water. You can go about 40 days. That's it without food if you dare. Um, and so, you know, an absolute fast, that was something that he did on multiple occasions. God called him to that. And he had his encounters with the Lord. Um, there's, you know, our, a general fast is the abstaining from food, not necessarily water. Um, and it's for the purpose of seeking God. Then we have a unique situation in the book of Daniel. Um, we call it the, the, the Daniel fast, where Daniel said, I'm only going to eat vegetables and water for 10 days. Um, and, you know, God responded to his fast by making him 10 times smarter than everybody he was in class with. He made them all look dumb. And, uh, and God gave him gifts and ability to interpret dreams and visions and everything else uh, because he, he honored God in that. He didn't defile himself with the king's delicacies and food. And so here, Nehemiah fasts because he's, 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 he's burdened and he wants to bring his prayers before the Lord. Um, some people say, oh, you can fast TV or you can fast social media or you can fast. And I'm gonna just say that, no, you can't, not biblically. You can give those things up as a means of, you know, you know, undistracting yourself, but just don't call it a fast because it's not a fast. You can't give up something you don't need and say, I fasted. You need food. 
And so God says, you know, when you fast, you're basically telling your body who's going to say, it's, it's, brother, it's breakfast time, sir. It's lunchtime, ma'am. It's dinner time, sir. And you're telling your flesh no for the purpose of focusing on the Lord. When is the last time you looked up from your own problems long enough to see the troubles in the world around you? In this series, Pastor Bill Buffington is focusing on the life of one man who not only noticed the trouble around him, but wept over it and then did something about it. That's right, we're diving into the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah 1 verses 2 through 4 says this, I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, The remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Take a moment and consider the state of the world around you. Really notice the heartache and pain, and then bring it before God and see if He wants you to do something about it. Thanks for listening to A Transforming Word as you let the Word transform you. It will inevitably lead to transforming the world around you too. A Transforming Word is a ministry out of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood. You can check us out at calvaryinglewood.org. And then if you're in the area, make plans to come see us. But there's a lot more there than just our address. There's something for everyone. Once again, that website is calvaryinglewood.org. Well, we're out of time for today, but we'll be back and we hope to see you too. See you next time right here on A Transforming Word. Mm -hmm.